Chapter 35 of the Life and Adventures of James P. Beckworth by Thomas D. Bonner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Holmes. Chapter 35 Departure for California Meeting with the Apaches Hostile Threats Trouble with the Utahs Most Terrible Tragedy Society in California Adventures with Grizzly Bears the last dispatches I bore from Fort Leavenworth were addressed to California, and I had undertaken to carry them through. At Santa Fe, I rested a week, and then, taking an escort of fifteen men, I started on my errand. On our arrival at the village of Abiger, we found a large party of Apaches who were in the midst of a drunken carousel. We encamped inside the corral, that being as safe a place as we could select. Little Joe, an Apache chief, inquired of me what I was going to do with these whites. I'm going to take them to California, I told him. No, said he, you shall never take them nearer to California than they are now. Well, I shall try, I said. He held some further conversation with me of a denunciatory character, then left me to return to the liquor shop. Foreseeing what was likely the result if more liquor was obtained, I visited every place in town where it was kept and informed every seller that if another drop was sold to the Indians, I would hang the man that did it without a minute's delay, and I would have been as good as my word, for they were all Mexicans and I felt no great liking for them since the awful tragedy of Taos. But the priest began one or two in expostulation but I cut them short. I'll hang your priest just as soon as any of you, if he dares to interfere in the matter. I suppose they intended to urge that their priest had authorized them to sell liquors to the Indians. My interdict stopped them, for there was no more sold while I was there. The next day I saw little Joe in one of the low saloons. The stimulus of the liquor had left him, and he had what topers called the horrors. He begged me to let him have one dram more, but I refused. Whiskey, I said, put all kinds of nonsense into your head when you, you get drunk, and then you are ripe for any mischief. When he had become perfectly sober, he came to me and again asked, If it were true, kill your whole party, and you with them. You will never listen to us. Your ears are stopped. We all love you, but we have told you many times that we hate the whites and do not want you to lead them through our hunting grounds and show them our paths. But you will not listen to us, and now, if you undertake to pass through that canyon, we will, without fail, kill you. Well, I replied, I shall certainly go, so you had better get your warriors ready. We packed our animals, and I directed my men to travel slowly while I went through the canyon. If I wished them to advance, I would climb up and show myself to them as a signal for them to rush through and reach me as soon as possible. I then went on all alone, as I knew that if I encountered the Indians in the canyon, they would not kill me by myself. I paused through without meeting any, and I signaled to the men to come on. They soon joined me, and we issued upon the open prairie. Here we discovered 300 Apaches, each man leading his war horse. We numbered 18 two of whom were Mexicans. They did not offer to attack us, however, and we continued our route unmolested. 
although they kept on our trail for twenty miles a little before dark we rested to take supper starting again immediately after the meal was finished we saw no more of the apaches the following afternoon a utah came to us i asked him where his village was he did not know he said as he had been away some time i was going out to shoot game at the time and i took the indian with me lending him a gun belonging to one of my men i had killed two or three wild turkeys while my indian discovering deer some distance off went in pursuit i returned to the camp but the fellow had not arrived when we started in the morning he had not shown himself the second day after the disappearance of the indian with my gun i was some distance in advance of the party when on ascending a hill i saw a large party of utahs ahead they were looking down and examining the trail very closely to see if we had passed this convinced me that the indian fugitive had lied to me that he knew well where his village was and had no doubt been sent out from it as a spy we held on our way till we came up with him and it being then about noon we halted to take a long rest the indians soon came flocking round us but i gave strict orders to the men to keep a good lookout and upon no account to let them touch the firearms they swarmed around the camp entering it one at a time and i determined to make the first troublesome advance an excuse for getting rid of them we packed up and moved on through the whole mass of indians but they did not venture an attack although it had been their intention to do so if they could have got any advantage of through our negligence. They were embittered against the whites at that time on account of a severe whipping that had been recently inflicted upon two of their warriors by Chuck, who had just passed through them, for a theft from his camp. To receive a whipping, especially at the hands of a white man, is looked upon by them as a lasting infamy, and they would prefer death to the disgrace. The next morning they overtook us again, and the Indian returned me my gun. I mollified them with a few traffic presents, and they finally left us on apparently good term. The next hostile country that lay upon our road was that of the Navajo tribe. They followed us through their whole strip of territory, shouting after us and making insulting gestures but they took the precaution to keep out of gunshot range, and I did not think it worth my while to chastise them. The next tribe on our route was the Paiuchis, which is also the last before you reach Pueblo in California. The first Paiuchis that we came across were an Indian and a squaw engaged in digging roots. On seeing us approach, the Indian took to his heels, leaving the squaw to take care of herself. I rode up to her and asked her where her village was. She pointed in the direction of it, but I could not see it. The next one that I saw stooped and concealed himself in the grass. Immediately he found himself observed. But I rode up to him and made him show himself, not wishing to have him think that he could escape unnoticed so easily. He accompanied me for a short distance until another of the tribe shouted to him from a hill, and he then left me. We encamped that night upon the prairie. At dusk, we observed the smoke of a campfire in every direction, and shortly we were visited by hundreds of Indians who entirely hemmed us in. 
but on their finding that we were not Mexicans, they did not offer to molest us. They were hostile on account of the continual abductions of their squaws and children, whom the Mexicans employ as domestic slaves and treat them with the utmost cruelty. We reached our destination in safety, and I delivered my dispatches. I was now inactive for some time again, and occupied my leisure in rambling about the environs of Monterey. I then engaged in the service of the commissariat at Monterey to carry dispatches from thence to Captain Denny's ranch, where I was met by another carrier. On my road lay the mission of San Miguel owned by a mr reed an englishman and as his family was a very interesting one i generally made his home my resting place on one of my visits arriving about dusk i entered the house as usual but, but was surprised to see no one stirring i walked about a little to attract attention and no one coming to me i stepped in the kitchen to look for some of the inmates on the floor i saw someone lying down asleep as i supposed i attempted to arouse him with my foot but he did not stir this seemed strange and my apprehensions became excited for the indians were very numerous about and i was afraid some mischief had been done i returned to my horse for my pistol then lighting a candle i commenced the search in going along a passage, I stumbled over the body of a woman. I entered a room and found another, a murdered Indian woman, who had been domestic. I was about to enter another room, but I was arrested by some sudden thought which urged me to search no further. It was an opportune admiration, for that very room contained the murderers of the family who had heard my steps and were sitting at that moment with their pistols pointed at the door ready to shoot the first person that entered. This they confessed subsequently. Thinking to obtain further assistance, I mounted my horse and rode to the nearest ranch, a distance of 24 miles, when I, where I procured 15 Mexicans and Indians and returned with them the same night to the scene of the tragedy. On again entering the house, we found 11 bodies all thrown together in one pile for the purpose of consuming them. For on searching further, we found the murderers had set fire to the dwelling. But according to that providence, which exposes such wicked deeds, the fire had died out. Fastening up the house, we returned immediately back to the ranch from which I had started with my party. Making 72 miles, I rode that night. As soon as I could obtain some rest, I started, in company with the alcade, for St. Louis Obispo, where it was believed we could get assistance in capturing the murderers. Forty men in detached parties, moving in different directions, went in pursuit. It was my fortune to find the trail, and with my party of six men, I managed to head off the suspected murderers so as to come up with them in the road from directly the opposite direction from Reed's house. When I came opposite, one of the men sang out, Good day, senors, I replied, but kept on riding in the lope. The bandits, thrown entirely off their guard, insisted upon entering into conversation, so I had a fair opportunity of marking them all and discovering among them a horse belonging to the unfortunate Reed. 
I then rode to Santa Barbara, a distance of 40 miles, with a party of 20 men started boldly in pursuit. After much hard travel, we finally came upon the gang and camped for the night. Without a moment's hesitation, we charged on them, gave a volley of rifles, and killed one and wounded all the others, save an American named Dempsey. The villains fought like tigers, but were finally mastered and made prisoners. Dempsey turned state evidence. He stated that on the night of the murder, his party stopped at Reed's, that Reed told him that he had just returned from the mines, whereupon it was determined to kill the whole family and take his gold which turned out to be the pitiful sum of $1,000. After the confession of Dempsey, we shot the murderers, along with the state's evidence, and thus ended the lives of two Americans, two Englishmen, and ten Irishmen. They, having committed the most diabolical deed that ever disgraced the annuals of frontier life. I continued in the service of carrying dispatches for four months, varying my route, with an occasional trip to San Francisco. At this time, society in California was in the worst condition to be found, probably in any part of the world, to call it civilized. The report of the discovery of gold had attracted thither lawless and desperate characters from all parts of the earth, and the government constituted for their control was a weaker element than the offenders it had to deal with. The rankest successes were familiar occurrences, and the men were butchered under the very eyes of the officers of peace, and no action was taken for the matter. What honest men they were became alarmed, and frequently would abandon the richest places for the mere security of their lives and leave a whole community of rowdies to prey upon each other. Disorder attained its limit, and some reactionary means would naturally be engendered as a corrective to the existing evils. The establishment of vigilance committees among the better order of citizens operated as a thunderbolt upon the conniving civil officers and the rank perpetrators of crime. Scores of vengeance were snatched from the hands of these mock officers and summarily strung up to the limb of the nearest tree. Horse and cattle thieves had their necks disjointed so frequently that it soon became safe for a man to leave his horse standing in the street for a few moments while he stepped into a house to call upon his friend, and that widely practiced business was quickly done away with. Such sudden justice overtook murderers, robbers, and other criminals that honest people began to breathe more freely and acquired a sense of security while engaging in their ordinary pursuits. The material for crime still existed, and it is yet present in California to an alarming extent, but order may be considered as confirmed in the supremacy, though inevitably many social evils still exist, which time alone will remedy. In the month of April 1849, the steamship California touched at Monterey, she being the first steam vessel that had visited there from the States. I, with a party of fifteen others, stepped on board and proceeded as far as Stockton, where we separated into various parties. I left with one man to go to Sonora, where we erected the first tent and commenced a business in partnership. I had carried 
a small lot of clothing along with me which i disposed of to the miners at what now seems to me fabulous prices finding the business thus profitable i sent my partner back to stockton for a further supply and he brought several mules laden with goods this lot was disposed of as readily as the first and at prices equally remunerative this induced us to continue the business he performing the journeys backwards and forwards and i remaining behind to dispose of the goods and attend to other affairs sonora was rapidly growing into a large village and our tent was replaced with a roomy house i had cause of indians in my employ to take charge of the horses left in my care by the miners and other persons sometimes to the number of two hundred at once i also employed indians to work in the mines i furnishing them with board and implements to work with and they paying me with one half of their earnings their general yield was from five to six ounces a day each man a moiety of what they faithfully rendered to me among my earliest visitors was a party of eighteen united states dragoons who came to me be fitted out with citizens clothing as they had brought to a certain period their service to this country it was an impossible thing at that time to retain troops in california for the produce of the mines held out a temptation to desert that none seemed able to resist as more gold could be dug sometimes in one day than would pay a private for a year's service in the army even officers of considerable rank and not infrequently threw aside epaulette and sash and shouldered the pick to repair to the diggings while at sonora i learned that colonel fremont was at mariposa and i made a journey over there for the purpose of seeing him i was disappointed in my expectation and started to return home again while proceeding quietly along having left the main road and taken up a hollow i perceived two men approaching me from the opposite direction running at the top of their speed and a crowd of indians after them in pursuit when they came up they shouted to me to turn and fly for my life or the indians would certainly massacre me i bade them stop and quiet their fears seeing my self-possession notwithstanding the near approach of the indians they at length halted and approached close to me for protection against their pursuers i then commanded the indians to stand telling them that they were my men they said they were not aware of that and they should not have chased them the indians i was acquainted with they had been frequently to my house to invite me to their village they wished to purchase goods of me and had promised me a mule load of gold dust if i would only supply them with what they were in need of i accompanied them to their village but my two rescued companions were not admitted into their lodges they then renewed their promise of the mule load of gold dust if i would bring out the goods they wanted i never went to them although it was remiss in me for they had a great quantity of gold dust i left after a brief visit and rejoined the two men they could not sufficiently express their gratitude to me for their deliverance as they considered my opportune appearance alone saved their lives becoming tired of my business in sonora for inactivity fatigued me to death i disposed of my interest in it for six thousand dollars and went on to sacramento city with the money 
in my pocket from this place i traveled on to murderer's bar which lies on the middle fork of the american river here i found my own friend chapineau housekeeping and stayed with him until the rainy season set in thence i proceeded to greenwood valley to establish my winter quarters but i was seized with an attack of inflammatory rheumatism and i had a nice time of it that winter before i was able to get about i was called on by the inhabitants to go several miles to shoot a grizzly bear as i was unable to walk the distance several of them volunteered to carry me the bear was in the habit of walking past a row of cabins every morning on his return to his den he having issued forth the preceding night to procure his evening meal they had fired several shots at bruin as he passed but he had never deigned to pay any attention to the molestation i mounted a horse and rode some distance along his customary path until i came to a tree which offered a fair shelter to await his approach i placed my back against it as a as a support while i awaited his coming the neighbors drawing off to a safe distance to witness the sport by and by grizzly came in sight walking along as independently as an alderman-elect i allowed him to approach till he was in twenty paces when i called out to him he stopped suddenly and looked around to a certain whence the sound proceeded as he arrested himself i fired and the ball entered his heart he advanced ten or fifteen paces before he fell the observers shouted to me to run they forgetting in their excitement that i had not strength to move the bear never stirred from where he fell and he expired without a groan when dressed he weighed over fourteen hundred pounds the grizzly bear is a formidable animal and has acted a prominent part among the settlers of california they are seldom known to attack man unless wounded in that case if a tree is by the hunter had better commence climbing they are very plenty from the sierra nevada to the coast range of the mountains i have in the course of my sojourn in the country killed a great many of them and met with some singular adventures on one occasion while i was with the crow indians there was a man of the name of Ko who was trapping in one of the neighboring streams and i became alarmed for his safety as blackfoot parties were skulking about in all directions and were sure to kill him if they should find his camp i found Ko and told him my fears he instantly gathered up his traps and mounting his horse started towards me when within fair gunshot an old bear sprang from a thicket and landed upon the flanks of his horse applying his teeth to the roots of the poor animal's tail and holding him as if in a vice cole leaned over his horse's neck and cried out shoot jim shoot quick i could not help laughing to have saved my life as he turned from side to side though his situation was a critical one i soon got in a favorable position and put a ball in the animal's head just behind the ear when he liberated the horse and his rider falling on his back apparently stone dead there is a story remembered by the mountaineers of a person named kairi he was a man who never exceeded one hundred pounds in weight but was a clear grit what little there was
cause of him. He went out one day alone, and his horse came back in the evening without his rider, and we thought that the Indians made sure of poor Kayeri's scalp. The next morning a small party of us started on the horse's trail and found Kayeri lying beside a large dead grizzly bear. Kayeri was horribly mutilated and insensible, but still alive, and must have soon died if no one had come to his rescue. We took him to camp and nursed him with all possible care. When he recovered sufficiently to tell his tale, his story was received with shouts of laughter and was rehearsed as a wonderful joke from camp to camp. Kairi stated that when he saw the grizzly, he got from his horse to shoot him, but unfortunately only wounded the animal. The bear, so Kairi says, caught hold of him and commenced a regular rough-and-tumble fight. Finally, Kairi got a good lick at the bear's head knocked him down with his fist and then attempted to run away the bear however was too quick when kairi became desperate seized the beast by the tongue drew his knife and stabbed the creature in the heart improbable as is the tale it was a singular fact that when kairi was found his knife was up to the maker's name in the bear's side and the body showed the effect of other severe stabs but whether a man weighing ninety pounds can knock down the best of boxes weighing twelve hundred the reader can decide but kairi ever told the same tale and became known far and near as the man that whipped the grizzly in a stand-up fight probably no man ever recovered who received so many wounds as did kairi in this unequal combat end of chapter thirty five